smell like money. And now, live from smell Today like FM San Francisco studio. It's Rebet Live. Uh, epic show coming up today. We have Real NZ CEO Stephen Lingardell Hall coming up. Uh, one of the Times top 100 most influential companies in the world was named out in New Zealand. We're going to have the co-founder and CEO uh, on that as well, which is going to be mega. Um, and I've got TT join in, who's our um, executive producer. Going to be doing great. How are you, TT? Yeah, good, mate. How are you doing, Robert? Good to see you. Hey, here. Okay. Um, very excited about today's show. I don't know if it's me or you, but I can hear myself straight back on some kind of funky feedback I didn't before, but it's all good. Um, today coming up on, oh, there we go, that's better than TT, sweet, ready to roll. And we've got a whole bunch more that's going to be coming up for you on today's show. Very excited. And the question for you today to, to be able to text in is, this question, what is the best ever business advice you've got of all time? Uh, one simple thing, text it through, 3920. Um, we've had some, uh, I put it up before just on online, and one of them was, uh, do what you find easy and others find hard. That was from Will Fleming. Claire O'Malley, always pay your bills on time. Carl Hamlin, put your prices up. <laughs> is that like forced inflation there, Carl? You just like, that's how you, that's how you do better, just put your prices up. Uh, what is your best business advice that you've ever been given? Text through now, 3920. All right, let's get into the show. Oh, the Rock Wilder, straight instrumentals, I love it. Uh, Reeling Z, we've got the CEO joining us now. His name is Stephen Ingle Hall. Uh, Reeling Z, uh, his business was founded in the field by the 1950s uh, tourism and by tourism and conservation pioneers Les and um, Olive Hutchins. 60 years later, they are tourist behemoths, weapons, doing great stuff for New Zealand. Now with the borders opening back up, tourism is about to have a big kickoff. So first guest on the show for today, introducing the CEO of Reeling Z, Stephen England Hall. How are you, mate? Kia ora, Robert. How are you? Good, my friend. Good, good, good. Uh, you've just had one of the largest private capital raises ever in the history of New Zealand. What great timing. So uh, for those who aren't aware, give us the quick little top line of what just went down this last week because it's super exciting for you, your company, um, New Zealand tourism, and all of the rest of it as we open back up. Yeah, th thanks, Robert. I mean, I, I guess the, the top line is that, um, you know, after two years of challenges and and navigating the kind of uncertainty of the short term, uh, we've been through a process to raise capital for Real NZ and bring on board some strategic investors and some new partners to help really position the organisation to continue to execute on its vision, which is to accelerate the world's shift to sustainable tourism by delivering Aotearoa, New Zealand's most memorable experiences. And so bringing on board these new partners, Milford Asset Management, Audrey, Martin Dippy, um, Brendan Lindsay, and, of course, uh, John T. Edgar from the Edgar family uh, to become part of the Real NZ Fano, if you like, the shareholder Fano, is uh, a pretty exciting opportunity, and we're pretty excited to have them on board. You said uh, it's got some big names in there. Everyone obviously knows what they're doing. Uh, Timing-wise, you, you just said something in there which I wanted to ask. You said sustainable tourism. For those that aren't aware or don't know, what is sustainable tourism? At, at the very heart of sustainable tourism, in my view, and everyone has a slightly different opinion of this, but for me, it's about how you enrich the world? How do you give back more than you take? So to be truly sustainable, we need to be sustainable on multiple levels. Obviously, financially, economically, we have to be able to generate more returns than the money we put in. Otherwise, we just go to business. We have to make sure that we enrich the environments in which we operate, making sure that whether it's um, you know, from a conservation lens or a biodiversity lens or a you know water or air and so forth, we're making sure that we're doing the best things we can to leave the world a better place. 
There's also cultural sustainability and ultimately people as well. So I want to make sure that the people that we engage with, whether they be our guests, our partners, our shareholders, <coughs> excuse me, or our communities, or even our, our staff, our team, we want to make sure that we are somehow enriching their lives too. So when we talk about sustainable tourism, we're talking about across that whole gambit, people, money, environment, culture. It's such a different, uh, there's different things which you don't usually hear from sort of big corporations, talking about, you know, the culture, sustainability and the future and stuff. But I want to rewind it back a little bit. Last two years, we fortunate enough, we have Paul Connery on the show, who's the incoming chief economist for the Reserve Bank. And he was basically saying, you know, in the last two years through COVID, basically one of the biggest um, sectors hit was tourism. How do you reset the what's the game plan to reset and really push forward as, as the world opens back up, the borders open up, people come flying back in and tourism kicks back off. What does tourism 2.0 look like, you think? Yeah, it's a great question. Look, I think the, the we're trying to avoid using the term reset when we talk about the future of tourism. And the reason for that is because there are some things that were going on in tourism or the visitor economy is probably a better way to describe it, which were actually really powerful, really good, and very good for New Zealand, our guests, New Zealand communities and so forth. There were some elements of that industry that weren't going as well as we would like and clearly creating pressure points, you know, whether that be congestion historically around, you know, the Tongariro National Park, sorry, Tongariro Daywalk, um, you know, Milford Sound, you know, a couple of times a year, uh, you know, the streets of Queenstown, <laughs> you know, particularly between 7.30 and 9 in the morning when people were taking their kids to work and school, as well as uh, visitors being around. There were congestion points, and of course we know that was creating some social licence tension. So I think, you know, when we think about sort of the future of tourism, I like to think about it as building the future or creating the future rather than resetting the past. Because let's be honest, you can't, unless you've got a time machine, you can't go back uh, to where you were. You can only build from where you are. So I think the, the, the opportunity for New Zealand is to continue to offer absolutely world-class, you know, only in New Zealand experiences, delivered with absolutely phenomenal manakitanga, you know, a unique welcoming hospitality um, that we're quite famous for and how do we continue to do those things which are great and then ensuring that the ecosystem the legislation regulatory environment and of course businesses are focused on doing all those things with an eye on you know making the world a better place so i want to talk about that for a second in terms of this experience that's that you can't get anywhere else people have been cooped up they want to get out and about what have you seen in terms of data or global like insights and attention getting brought to wanting to travel and get out in the mix and actually you know going to these booking sites and stuff like what do you what has the demand been looking like that you've seen from a data perspective in the last three to six months as everything's starting to open back up yeah absolutely what we've seen in markets where uh, which are a bit ahead of New Zealand that's a probably important point to make you know North America Europe some parts of Asia have actually been ahead of us in terms of reopening and reconnecting to the world. What they have seen is really strong uh, resurgence in bookings and, and, and um, travel and you know, particularly outbound, so from the UK to Europe or UK to America, has really uh, rebounded reasonably quickly and quite robustly. So I think we're going to see some of that here too, uh, although New Zealand's clearly a lot further away and most people probably don't appreciate or realise that it takes an awful lot of effort to get an airline to choose to fly to Auckland or Christchurch or Queenstown uh, over flying to you know Prague or Berlin or, or London. Um, and so there's a fair bit of energy required by the entire ecosystem to reconnect us to the world. But assuming that that happens and it happens smoothly, I think demand will exceed supply in terms of capacity in the short term. And then I think it will normalise over time and it will become... Um, you know, we'll see 
I think we're going to see a very quick, well, the next 12 months probably going to be fairly slow build, and then I think we'll go through a period of, of pretty good growth, and then things will normalise again, perhaps by 2025. That's what we're kind of anticipating. Uh, and in terms of customer and visitor demand, it's definitely there. New Zealand's still a very um, exciting place to put on your bucket list to go to, and it's something that we've seen demand remain reasonably high from. According to the Tourism New Zealand stats that came out a couple of weeks or months or so ago, you know, interest and preference for New Zealand remains very high. Um, the question is, how are they going to get there and what's it going to look like? Yeah, interesting point you said about 25 for the rebuild. You know, COVID hits in 2020, back in action in 25. Who would have thought rewinding the clock that we'd be looking at a half a decade cycle to, to reset, you know, kind of like get the wheels back rolling again. Obviously, um, yeah. Real NZ still a private company, not um, uh, publicly held, so the, the dollars are on the stealth. But, you know, you've got some big um, new investors that have come on board. The majority still going to be on the side with the family. How? What's the biggest impetus or, like, the prioritisation for for these funds and capital that's now coming to the, to the business? Like, where do, where's the energy going to be going to make it even better business building forward? Yeah, I mean, the, that's a great question. For us, the focus uh, in the short to medium term is definitely around lifting the customer experience, we're doing everything we can in the details to make sure that we deliver the world's most memorable experiences. Part of doing that is how we use technology, data, analytics to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of the work that we do, the experiences we deliver, and of course the customers that we and guests that we attract uh, and support throughout our experiences. So that's really big focus areas for us. Is, you know, how do we lift? You know, how do we lift our experience? How do we lift the, the guest outcome? And along with that, how do we use technology and analytics and data to drive? To drive forward and make sure that we're doing, if you like, delivering these amazing experiences in the most productive way with, you know, with an eye continuously on how do we lift customer experience, how do we lift employee experience, how do we make better economic uh, and environmental decisions. You brought a, a word up which I was just about to ask you, technology. What future role or how has technology been like further implemented into this tourism world in, in your eyes over this last two years? How much priority has it been and what sort of shifted in the way the, the business is sort of operating in terms of integration of technologies for a more efficient company? Yeah, I can't really speak for the sector more broadly, um, aside from where we've seen additional investment going in, in terms of technology investment around tourism. Things like, you know, uh, booking technology, customer management, CRM, uh, marketing, social media intelligence, things like that have continued to receive investment around the tourism space, and, and you'd expect them would, right, because clearly pre, pre-pandemic, pre tourism was like a $7 trillion economy globally. So if you're a technology provider in that ecosystem able to deliver real value and click the ticket in the process, there's a, there's a huge amount of economic value that can be can be created through tech. So uh, within our organisation, focusing on things like customer management, data, analytics, understanding our business more efficiently, how we do better strategic asset management, uh, resource planning, all that sort of stuff, which sometimes is a bit invisible to the outside world, but actually from an organisational point of view, critical to ensuring that we just become a better business. 100% agree. Before you leave, I've got one final question. What are you the most excited about in the next 12 months for the New Zealand tourism sector? What is the one thing that you are like, let's go? I think there's probably, can I answer that in two parts, but the one thing I'm most excited about is welcoming back international visitors to experience this incredible and remarkable part of the world. Uh, And when they get to do that, doing that in a way that's going to blow their minds and actually leave them thinking, man, this country is extraordinary and the people who live here, work here and play here are are truly amazing. So I think that's 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 the big exciting thing, so seeing that resurgence of international engagement and reconnecting New Zealand with the world. You know, we're a trading nation, we're an exporting country, 
we need to be connected with the world. And I think that's an exciting, I think us being reconnected and having our voice back out there and heard more often and, and spoken about through that lens is, is a really powerful thing for pride uh, as well for, as for the mana of Aotearoa. Absolutely love it. Uh, Stephen, Ab, really appreciate your time. Uh, awesome uh, news on the latest uh, latest round and bring on, um, you know, tourism opening back up to the world and busy days for everyone. Really appreciate your time, my friend. And I'll be seeing you next month down in Queenstown. Let's drink a few Pinots. Love your work, my friend. Absolutely, mate. Sounds great. Thank you very much, Robert. Have a good day. Champ. Cheers, brother. That was Stephen Ingenhall, the CEO of Real NZ, uh, one of the big players in the tourism uh, ecosystem and industry. An amazing time to be alive for New Zealand opening back up for tourism. Obviously, I'm in San Francisco. The world's open back up. The flights are starting to come back through. Everyone's getting excited. Uh, you're listening to Today FM. Uh, some more feedbacks just come through on the question which I asked, which was, what is your single best business advice? Someone said, never do anything that involves weather. <laughs> the other one, business, consistency, consistency, consistency. And that was from Robert and Tammy Maisie. Uh, coming up right around the corner after the break, chatting with the next generation of Kiwis who are doing great stuff. The section is called Young Bucks. See you on the other side. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. All right, rock and rolling. It's time we're back around from the break and we're coming up. is called Young Bucks. What is Young Bucks? A young buck is a young Kiwi a young mind is doing great things in the world of business that's on, on the come up. We're joined today by Manfred Safar from Fahad Malosi, uh, who's the chief co-executive uh, from Bishop Fiad College. Uh, basically what this does, 10 high school students from Porirua are hoping a new website they've made will help teach people to pronounce Māori and Pacifica names correctly. How good. Fahad Malosi, which I hope I've just said right, if this is the, the name of it, um, Oh, sorry, get ready there. Uh, is, which means be strong, and someone has been up and running for less than a month, but already features more than 800 names in half a dozen languages and around 650 subscribers. Subscribers, super cool. Welcome to the show, Manfred. Thank you for having me. Now let's just start with the simple one. Did I get the name right? Because my name is Robert, and everyone I've had been called many things that's not Robert. Did I say it right? Fa Malosi. Yeah, absolutely. There we go. All right, so tell me about yourself. How old are you? Where are you from? Yep, so um, my name is Memphis Sofara. I'm 17 years old, uh, currently attending Bishop Year College um, as a year 13, and also I'm um, given the opportunity to, uh, this year to lead the school as head boy. Um, I'm a Simon born, but obviously um, brought up in, in Porirua, uh, the whole, uh, the rest of, like, most of my life. So, yeah, that's a little bit about myself, and mm. Very cool. All right, so you're 17 years old. You've got this thing kicked off. What was the genesis of this idea? Where did it come from, and what was the problem you're trying to solve specifically with the way you've sort of structured and stuff? Give me the give me the genesis story. How did it all happen? Yep. So um, uh, this whole journey started last year. Uh, so um, our we're part of a business group and um, part of our our business um, system at schools that we enter a a program called um, Yes Enterprise uh, for young entrepreneurs. So uh, we entered that program, and then, but part of the program is that you come up with, with an issue, and then you you come up with a solution to to that issue. So we sat down as a group, uh, obviously ten of us, uh, and we came up with different problems that um, us uh, young teenagers, us young Pacifica and Maori uh, teenagers face uh, daily. So, but one of them that 
one of the problems that really um, uh, that pointed out was the mispronunciation of Maori and Pacifica names. So uh, we outlined um, that problem and then we, we brainstormed ways that we can uh, solve this issue. And um, and then one of the uh, one of good, the good ideas that came through was um, why not create a website? Um, obviously, this uh, nowadays and um, with technology um, running so fast. So, uh, yeah, we decided to create a website and then have um, uh, the correct pronunciation of um, of names and different cultures on our website. And that's basically how the journey started. Super cool. So the website itself, you integrated in voice files for each of the words? Did you, you've got your own like mini Wikipedia type thing, Google's like little search thing going go on? Like how did you think about structuring it in terms of the the data and, and the content that went on it? How do you approach that? Yep. Yep. So um, obviously you us being young teenagers and having no knowledge in um, creating a website. So uh, we we reached out to um, a few people that could help us and um, our our amazing teacher, um, Gina LaFalseo's um, daughter, actually came through for us and she had um, a lot of knowledge in um, creating websites. So uh, so she used um, a program online called Wix that, um, that will help people create websites. So, and uh, that's basically what how we started the website. So we used Wix, and then, um, like you said, yep, we have um, so on our website we have different pages for for each cultures and uh, different pronunciations for them. So that's how we uh, structured our, our website for for how we wanted it. So yeah, good on good on you. So now you've got you know you've saying here you've got over eight hundred names in there. You look at half a dozen languages. Where do you think this goes to? Like, what's the what's the big game plan when you when you try and you know think out in the next next you know couple of years? What do you want to have happen? Yeah. So um, yeah. So obviously, um, with a lot of success last year in our business and also um, winning some great awards. So, but for us this year, the main focus is, is that we um are looking to um connect with people that could really help us and um fund some money for us to um actually turn this uh, this website into an app so so that's easier for uh, a lot of our people to access so that's the next plan for us but also um expand our website to to different languages and also i'm um, reaching out to people um to help us with that good on you so you, you're 17 years old i'm 36 so i'm two i'm 20 years older than you so i must sound like a grandpa but the good thing on this thing is there's, there's like last i think two another week ago we had someone that was maybe in their 60s and 70s that were re- ringing in so for for the older kiwis that are out there listening to this right now that you've got some you know 17 year old young buck that's that's making his way in the business world what message do you think young people would like to send i guess the older generation in new zealand right now what do you think new zealand needs the most I think it's just um, the confidence in in, um, in yourself because um, obviously uh, myself and my uh, my other co-CEO, um, Toi Lokin, uh we had no knowledge, no knowledge in, in business whatsoever. So, yeah, I think just having the confidence and also surrounding you, your, yourself with the right people, the right people that will help you and um, support you um, the whole way. So, yeah, I think having the confidence but also sur- surround yourself with the right people. I love it, man. That that advice goes for anyone all over the show. Hey, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on, Manfred. Uh, champion, awesome, and I wish you the, the best best of luck for all that you've got going on. Say yes, what's up to Ian and all the crew at Young Enterprise Scheme as well. It's an 
amazing New Zealand organisation yep. helping uh, helping Kiwi business, uh, Kiwi, Kiwi students at high school and stuff get into the mix into the real world, which is super cool. Appreciate your time, bro. Thank you, thank you very much for having us. Uh, please also make sure uh, to subscribe to our website at www.farmalossi.com. Cheers. Thank you. Let's go. There we go. Farmalossi.com. Uh, time check now is 12.25 in Auckland, 5.25 here in San Francisco. You're on Saturday. I'm still on Friday afternoon. And I'm joined today as well by TT, the weapon that is TT. You there, my friend? I am here. How was your week? How are we doing and how are we rolling? been another big week i won't lie uh small improvements the washing machine as you called it is seems to be slowing down a little bit and then it gets quicker but then it slows down, and it gets quicker you know? this is like the world of startups when things are new and you're testing and you're trialing and you're doing new things nothing ever is going to go the exact way you think and that's all part of the game plan and that's the exact that's the exact thing so it's good um and you've you've had a good we had a good little few uh, banters last week uh what's been the biggest thing that's popped into your head in terms of uh, thinking over the last week what's been bubbling in your head the most over this last seven days I think one of the big things I'm trying to work on this week having worked you know quite a few really long days and been sitting there sort of you know nine ten hours at the end of a shift I think I'm trying really hard to sort of fortify my mind a little bit uh, and because I've, I've noticed that you know understandably you know, I'm tired and I'm getting to the end of, of these big days and there's still quite a bit to do. And my mind isn't quite as strong as, as I'd like it to be. I get a bit down. Yeah. I start to think, you know, I can't do this. Like, I need to stop. And, and you know, fair enough. I probably should stop, but I can't. So so for me, I'm trying to, trying to, you know, strengthen that resolve a little bit. Maybe try to think a bit more positive positively uh, and, and have a bit more control over, you know, those emotions i suppose mental resiliency in the startup landscape is probably one of the biggest thing in entrepreneurship as well like you know you're talking about a 910 unfortunately there's times where you just have to smash the hammer down and you know i've done plenty of i don't i don't recommend it but there's plenty of times where i've just smashed out you know several 18 to 20 hour days just getting shit done uh definitely not sustainable that is for sure not good for the heart pressure or the waistline but sometimes when it's got to get done you got to smash it the difference is the way i like to think about it, especially through covid and stuff is i think of um your headspace as a startup like think of your brain like a business and you balance out what you think it needs in terms of sustainability for growth right and when you it's weird because people don't they'll think of businesses strategically with um, vision and mission and statements and strategy but they don't think of their own headspace and um, especially with when it comes to the balance side of things because when your only asset like in a previous life when I was doing the professional snowboard thing my asset was my body to go jump off cliffs and pay bills but <laughs> in business your asset is your brain and when it doesn't go you know one of the things I actually think I've got was talking to someone recently about he's only in his mid 40s and he has daily naps he literally has a sleep at the office <laughs> yeah. uh, once a day, just for 20 minutes, just to try and reset his uh, brain a little bit. Um, but no, very cool. Start to get back in the mix. We've got um, a bunch more coming up in the show. I'll get you out of the way here, TT. Um, and right after the break, we're getting into uh, business in a minute. See you in a second, team. The Today FM, this is Rebet Live. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live. On Today FM. Oh, there we go. Whoopty. Straight out of the back, straight into some bangers. I love when I have my own show. I can literally just play any track I want. So I'm just going for hip-hop bangers this week, instrumentals. 
What's stopping you from being able to mess with the streets but still sit in the C-suite? What do you think about that? Business in a minute, everybody. Uh, this is Rebecca Live, episode 305. Forgot to say at the start, we've been in this for a while now and we're enjoying it. The process on radio has been awesome and great too with the team at Today FM, TT, Chris, Dal, and all the, all the squad. It's been awesome. Text me uh, any feedback or questions uh, you have to 3920. Question of the day was, what's the best business advice you ever received? Another answer came through, Logan Wedgwood. He said, don't run out of money. Pretty simple. All right, business in a minute. Goal of this is super simple. One minute for one tip to practically and tactically help you and your business. What is the tip? Simple old thing. It's called Google Alerts. Basically, with Google Alerts, you can have automatic emails instantly sent to you instantly, daily, or weekly um, for any type of term, phrase, business, name, or anything that exists online everywhere. So if it's you, your company, or anything else that exists on the web that you want to either track or look at or be on top of um, anything that comes out in news, Google Alerts. It's free. This is not sponsored. I just genuinely use it and business can do it as well. And it gives you a great insight to what's happening on the ground and in a landscape where time is money and money is everything that's running around in terms of business that is very efficient and cool to do. Google Alerts. It's free. You get it. notifications however you want and that helps your business go. You can get a free uh, small business warrant of fitness. It takes seven minutes if you want. Dial.org.nz. Totally free and gives you a bit of a check to see how you and your business is going. And that, my friends, is how you get more out of your business. Business in a minute. Bam. It's Rebet Live on Today FM. Hope your Saturday's rolling well. 12.32 in Auckland, 5.32 in San Francisco, and it's 10.30 over in Sydney. Uh, it's Te Reo time. I'm fortunate enough to be joined by the CEO of Culture Flow, Sarah Reo. How are you, Sarah? Kia ora. How are you doing? Doing very well, very well, very well. I uh, hope this Saturday is bubbling along good for you. Where are you at in Aotearoa, and what is going on in your world today? I'm in Hawke's Bay today. Uh, we're about to uh, head over to Manawatu, so a two-hour drive ahead of us, but it's a beautiful day here. I just want to give a little shout-out to Matua um, Bobby Gray, who passed away last night. He was a pivotal figure for Ngāti Rangi. So, you know, as our leaders um, pass on to the other side, Rebecca, it's more of a challenge for people like you and I and our generation to really step forward and ask the hard questions about te ao Māori and a contemporary Aotearoa. It feels that we've lost a few weapons within the um, within the Māori community in this last couple of months. It's kind of a sad time, but part of the journey as well, right? Yeah, I think so. And I've got a lot of faith in their teachings, you know, what they've left behind for us. And the focus was really on what our contribution can be for uh, our communities, whether they be small or large. And um, yeah, I think that'll be really proud of you, bro, and what you're doing with uh, helping other businesses around the world, especially with bringing focus back onto Te Ao Māori. That's so cool. No, I really appreciate it. And you know, for th- those down the world, just tune in my ear, Whanau's from Ngāti Parau, East Coast, Gisborne. But um, un- un- it's kind of unfortunate, but I have actually can still currently, fr- as today, I can speak more Japanese in Nihongo because I used to live over in um, Japan, then I actually can Māori, which is kind of a bit of a bummer. And so I've um, set myself up uh, this year to get uh, back into it to learn a bit more. So what I was thinking as I'm on my journey too is we can get some some weekly little catch-ups and insights and learnings from um, from yourself and the team there at Culture Flow. So I actually wanted to ask a, a bit of a simple question, to, it's kind of business related but at the same time we've sort of briefly touched on it last week was that 
you know, culture that was seen by many as a potential liability is now seen as a massive asset in terms of differentiating yourself from uh, many other competitors, but also embracing uh, all the people and the, the upside that can exist within within culture. So I guess the way I wanted to maybe just ask you for today, Sarah, is what do you think the best way is for businesses who haven't, um, that want to engage with culture and, and, and te reo Māori and, and other different cultures and stuff, what do you think are some good, simple first steps that they can do if they feel kind of a bit threatened or don't know how to sort of approach it? They want to, but they don't know how. How do they start to navigate that? That's such a good question, Ehua. Um, there are so many programs out there. Uh, just a shout out to all of the wānanga, they have free programs for everybody who wants to get involved. Um, there are also some amazing YouTubers out there that are just putting, putting content out every day on the daily. And so that's an option for people who don't want to commit to a course. You know, there's a young man out there who has over 100,000 followers on YouTube. Unfortunately, I can't remember his name at this minute, but... If you put in Te Reo Māori on YouTube, um, I'm sure he'll pop up. And there are lots of uh, different programs on Insta as well. And Culture Flow is just one of them. And um, I just want to promote all of the different providers out there because we've all got different ways that we want to engage. And some of us want to be full on and some of us don't want to be full on. So, yeah, just Google Te Reo Māori. Um, the Māori Language Commission has some amazing resources that you can download. They're all free. As to uh, the Ministry of Māori Development, Puni Kōkiri, they're all free. Um, yeah, and just to start listening to uh, Māori TV, if you can, in Aotearoa, start to watch the um, channels on on Māori TV. There's a lot of options there. But for those of us who are overseas, um, I really promote the accessing of the Māori Language uh, Commission's resources. And of course, Cousin Henewehi Mohi has translated all of sort of the Māori anthems, we're calling them the top top 100 anthems in New Zealand, into Te Reo Māori. So when you travel on Air New Zealand, you hear those constantly. And I think you can download those on Spotify as well, uh, Rob. The, they're just It's just Māori anthems. So you're lots of different ways for people to engage. And I just say, just give it a go. You know, it's not about getting it right the first time. It takes 10,000 hours, as you know, being a professional snowboarder and a, and a successful businessman to do something really well. So just give it a go and, and enjoy, enjoy the journey. Yeah. I think one of the uh, interesting parts to that is the, you get a lot more leeway when people know your intent is right. If they know you're trying... Right. <laughs> And yeah. it may not be perfect, but if you know if you're traveling, you're trying a different language or whatever it may be. But it, it, it makes me feel uh, that it's important that more platforms and opportunities open up so people don't feel, you know, threatened even within their own cult country to feel threatened from trying to engage with culture, even though it's sort of new to them before. So um, it's definitely something that um, I think is important. I was actually just Googling up there on uh, YouTube as well, and there was there's quite a few little uh, YouTube channels. One of them was Reo Māori and all sorts. So I think you're definitely right. Just go to uh, YouTube.com, you can type in Te Reo Māori, and there's, there's a bunch in there in the mix. So outside of um, trying to engage, when you look at the future of Māoridom within business and commerce in New Zealand and how it's, I guess, getting more embraced. What do you think the future looks like for culture as it intersects with, intersects with uh, commerce over the next decade? 
Uh, that's a brilliant question. You know, uh, we touched briefly on the Māori economy last week. And um, Sir Rob McLeod's paper that he submitted in 2014 to uh, Te Hui uh was really speaking about the untapped potential within the Māori population, so the underemployed. And as we work on that solution, so moving the underemployed into the future of work, as they move into those roles of the future of work, IT, uh, cloud programming, artificial intelligence, we see our community moving into spaces that they've previously been non-participants in. Mm. And I think the knowledge that we gain when we intersect into those industries means that uh, the growth of the culture happens organically within the industry. Because any business that does really well, as you know, is an authentic business that looks after its people and nurtures its culture. And to nurture the culture, it doesn't necessarily mean we're all monocultural and we're all monolingual. Um, yeah, I'll defer to you. I mean, you're the successful businessman, but it's really about taking people for where they're at authentically and celebrating that within the business. Mm. So I think as the Māori economy grows and the Māori uh, population becomes part of the future of work, we'll see Te Ao Māori and, and Te Reo Māori become an organic and natural part of the commercial world, not for, um, not because we're trying to, but because it's just going to be a default consequence of us participating. Mm, and a good consequence at that. Um, really appreciate your time, Sarah. Thanks for jumping in. Enjoy the rest of, I uh, hope you have a safe drive over. Uh, hugs to you and the whanau, and I'll be uh, catching up with you soon. Really appreciate your time. Okay. And there we go. That's today's time for this week. Sarah Dale from Culture Flow. If you've got any feedback or questions or suggestions, feel free to text me through 3920 or 0800 Today FM. You can text me. I get a little note there. says what you're saying and I can see what's going on. Right after the break, we have Learn, Share, Repeat. Learning cool stuff with the one and only Lloyd Burr. See you in the second team. His goal to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. I feel so privileged every time I hear Paul Henry say my name right. Thanks, Paul. Uh, this is Rebet Live on Today FM. Text me through with any thoughts, questions, 3920, or you can ring 0800 Today FM. Troll me, say what's up, whatever you'd like. Next section on the show, we have Lloyd, uh, oh no, actually, Lloyd Share Repeat. <laughs> Learn Share Repeat, but Lloyd's coming on. Uh, one of the weapons here at Today FM, and we had a, a message coming through saying, uh, one of the texts came through, it said, the greatest New Zealander is due now, with an exclamation mark. It was from Bill, or Bill, like to let you know, talk to the, the higher ups. It's on at 1.30, mate, so tune back in at 1.30, I'll be able to tell you exactly who the next on the list is of the top uh, 100 Kiwis. Uh, and that's it. So. Learn, learn, share, repeat. Super simple. The goal of this is talking to a bunch of interesting Kiwis around what are they consuming, what are they learning, what are they liking, and uh, without further ado, welcome to the show. First time ever on radio. Let's get it up for Lloyd Burr. How are you, mate? I'm very good. I've, I've never been called a weapon before, um, but weapon. I quite like that. There we go. Wep weapon is a good thing. Weapon means you basically get shit done in the best way possible. And I'd like to start off, uh, Lloyd, by saying welcome to you the same way for many months last year you were saying welcome to me when I was uh, jumping on your show for for do some quick Q&As and ask Rebecca. So how does it feel to have the tables turned, mate? You're the one now on the spotlight. I'm about to give you the hard questions. 
it's awesome. I mean, you're a natural, and I always knew that. Um, and it's awesome to have you on board, and you've got your own show. It was always meant to happen. Meant to be. Um, you, you're like, if you have three more whiskeys, it sounds like you're about to work on a, 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 a sex hotline with that, that deep, rasky Saturday tone. It's like, <laughs> Lloyd, Lloyd Burr. I mean, maybe I could, I could moonlight doing that. Call I mean, me I'll probably up. run out of things to say because, yeah, I probably need some training, but heck, yeah, right, give me a call now. Let what are you wearing, my I'm wearing Crocs right now. I'm trying to convert everyone from fancy leather shoes that's in business to roll Crocs, even with socks potentially if you need. But we're not talking about Crocs. We're talking about Learn Share Repeat. I have a little wristband. On my wristband, it says Learn Share Repeat with the goal of always talking to interesting people to find out what they know that I don't. And the goal of this for the question for you for this week, my friend Lloyd, is what are you currently consuming that is helping you learn the most? And where are you getting it from? What are you learning? Um, I'm learning lots of stuff pretty much every day when I'm on the radio I'm learning stuff because I'm talking to some of the you know best Kiwis there are um, but in terms of like media and stuff I'm one of those people who buy books and then don't read them but then have four books that I'm sort of half reading all at once so I'm kind of I'm, I'm jumping between tabs so to speak with my books um, the one I'm actually reading at the moment is The Barefoot Investor trying to learn to be good with money because I got halfway through that last year and then didn't finish it, and now I've picked it back up, and I'm going through that one. Um, so that's quite good, because I want to learn how to be better with money, which is kind of what you taught me a little bit about last year. What's the tone um, of it? So so Barefoot Investor, is it, um, what's 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 the genesis or the thinking? I've heard of it, but I don't know the, 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 the concepts. What's the, the general top line? It's kind of like, well, we, we never taught how to be good with money. You know, we don't, they don't teach it at school, they don't teach it at primary school, high school, whatever, we just kind of, get a job and get paid and live day to day. This teaches you how to um, properly save for your entire retirement, uh, put money away each week, um, be very uh, disciplined with your spending, um, spend it, don't spend it on stuff you don't need, that kind of stuff. And I guess it puts in place all of the structures in your financial life. Um, so and once you've got them in place, you just it sort of looks after itself. So that's kind of what it's doing. And it's not, I'm not talking about like massive investments and, and playing on the share market and whatnot. It's just um, having, diff- you know, your bank account structure, um, setting up automatic payments between them. So you've got like a splurge account that you can use. And there's, um, yeah, there's all these different settings, but it's it's quite good. And it even if you don't implement them all at once, you can still teach you how to be good with money. Because I wish I wish they taught us that at school. Everyone says that same thing. I mean, my, myself, you know, I failed high school and, you know, couldn't get into university, was not book smart, was obviously street smart. Do you, th- like, what do you think's holding back? Like, what Maybe I'll ask this, Lloyd. What percentage of Kiwis do you think don't really know what's up when it comes to money? What percent? Uh, probably 80. Yeah. Maybe. 80. It's over oh, 50, well, right? Yeah, it's it's over definitely 50. over 50. And, and, um, I was never going to do anything about it. And then I got this recommended to me. And I thought, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not that bad with money. And then you read this, you're like, oh, I could be doing this so much better than what I'm currently doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think it's, it should be, it should be, there should be a different system other than teach yourself. Yeah. I've been thinking of this idea around real world university where you do micro short courses of just practical and tactical real life shit, which you may, may not know about to sort of batch micro learn things like the way I kind of will learn from people is I'll try and get close access and I try and just data dump as much info as I can off them in the shortest amount of time 
document it all down and then I can go back and pick out the sort of the sort of main points because when you don't have too much time with it they kind of give it chunk and chunky little not like tweet size bits of bits of nuggets but you know I, I did I had one happen only a couple weeks ago with this um, multi-millionaire dude over here in the states and he owns like 20 houses and companies and all sorts and bits and pieces and he just I, I asked him oh how do you structure the ownership for all these different properties and he was like oh well I put the S-Corp here and blah 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 blah, blah. And, and he just sort of basically talked through in about a 30 second soundbite 10 years 20 years of real estate advice and one little one little hook and i think it, it'd be so good if we can get more access like that to to help others with it which is which is super cool for you and so how far are you away through the book now like how, is it going well like what else are you what else are you consuming right now outside of that any other podcasts any other bits and pieces um, i mean yeah when you when you talk about property there um or, and like you know learning how to how he does his ownership structure that's another thing i think we need to all need to learn so I remember when i went to the bank and and got a mortgage and, and bought this tiny shoebox that I'm in at the moment. Um, they were like, do you want to have it in a trust? Do you want to have it in this? And I was like, what does this mean? So um, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that you you mined his brain because I think that's another thing that we all need to learn. Um, another thing that I'm consuming at the moment in my walk to work is, uh, and you're probably quite familiar with this given um, your uh, closeness to Silicon Valley, but um, it's a podcast called The Dropout. It's about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, which is Whoa. just fascinating. Yeah, that's a crazy story for those that aren't aware. Basically, one of the biggest scams in investment history with billions of dollars in valuation and a bit of a mastermind behind it that did not go down so well with is it Theranos, right? No, was it Theranos? What was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah Theranos. Yeah. Yep, Theranos. Yep. Yep, therapy yep. and diagnosis. Yeah, so she merged them together. But I think also it's a, um, a, an ancient Greek term which uh, funnily means something like some kind of monster or, yeah, um, some yeah yeah so it's weird that she named it that um, but this podcast is great because it takes you through the story of Theranos and now it's gone through the courts as well so it's taking you through each um, week in the courts and yeah it's I find it fascinating mainly because of what it has meant since it all erupted for women in Silicon Valley who are trying to um, go and get money out of um, you know venture capitalists and stuff to fund their startup ideas which are well research well reasoned hers just she came up with it and it, nothing, it never ever worked and it never was going to work um so i think the flow and effects from what she's done is is um, ruined a whole lot especially young women who are trying to convince vcs to give them money yep there is a incredible fascinating uh, story with yeah elizabeth hones and theranos uh, so that was called the drop off podcast you listen to it, and then also the book the, yeah the, the drop BF. the drop out the yeah, drop out, out. Sorry, she the dropped drop out. out of dropped out of stanford after I think it was just one semester or something like that. Yeah. Crazy times. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week, my friend. Appreciate you coming on. It's cool to have the roles reversed for a second. I'm asking you questions, and I'm I'm learning a bunch more today. It's cool. So now I've got two more things I can <laughs> add into the into the, to the pile of, of my, my read and watch list. I appreciate it. Mate, no worries. You're so good at this, um, and I love listening to your show. You're a, you're an yep. absolute natural, and have a, have a cracker rest of the show. I'm off to the beer spot. Let's go. Oh, funny you say. I was about to ask you about the the, the beer garden, the beer the, the beer mission. We're gonna do some type of collab, something. I'm gonna talk to you about it on a side little note when oh. um, TT's not sneaking in and watching. I I've, was I had a note there to ask you about the beer thing, but enjoy the rest of the day, mate. Appreciate appreciate your time. See you later, mate. See ya. My man. All right, that was Lloyd Burr from Lloyd Boy Live. Uh, you can hear him a whole bunch of the time on today. If one is a, one of the main pretty faces behind behind the mix, not just the the sexy voice. Also got the face for it too, Lloyd Burr. 
on today, FM. Uh, super solid. All right, uh, you can ask me anything coming up, Ness, on Ask Rebet. Business live questions also. Last week we had some great questions come in from the relationships and business and all sorts of bits and pieces. If you have a question right now you would like to ask me about anything, you can feel free to do so. Text 3920, 3920, or troll me if you want a video call in 0800 today FM. Rebet Live. Live from Silicon Valley. The hub of the tech universe. With tips on unleashing your entrepreneurial potential. On Today FM. Rolling. All right, Ask Rebet. Uh, about to hit the hour now. 5.56 here in San Francisco, 12.56 in Auckland, uh, and it is Ask Rebet, and I'm joined by producer extraordinaire, EP, Exec 2T. How are you, buddy? Good, mate. And we've already got some uh, some questions coming in here. Should Hit I lay them on you? All right. Hit me. This is from Kelly, who lives in Nelson. She says, looking for some strategies for a new age real estate agent for personal branding. I wonder what new age means. How to stand out and be different from the usual agents, agents, etc. Any tips or ideas, trick, tricks would be super helpful. Thank you. Very cool. Uh, new age, she basically means, I don't think, uh, not being old school. Right. So with it, she's trying to differentiate herself in the marketplace in a pretty crowded marketplace of uh, commercial real estate agents. So I would do two things. One, I'd figure out um, if it's for yourself and for free with no budget. And if it's say in the commercial space, I would be going on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is what exactly what I'd be doing. How I'd be doing it is I'd be uh, trying to own the social area and localize my knowledge. So it gives you uh, intellectual property or IP flex in a local market. So what you'd do is you'd say, okay, hey, here's a weekly a little update of the specific area that is in Nelson. These are the deals that are happening. This is, these are my two cents that's bubbling a long way with it. And it gives context to the commerce. So when you, instead of just saying, trust me, buy me, if you've got a, if you owned a $5 million property, a bit commercial building or whatever in Nelson, and for a whole year, you just see her, Abs Kelly is just crushing it on LinkedIn and is you know, adds and bits and pieces as well. But you can tell she knows the market. You can tell she knows the specifics. You can tell she exactly knows what's up in terms of the commercial deals with how she's structuring them. That's good. So the answer for that is pick a platform, localize your knowledge, own the social area around that space, and then intellectually flex with the knowledge that you have which differentiates yourself from the rest of the market that's oh. what i'd do all right uh, i think we've got time for one more this is from andrew and gisborne he says hi rebet how do i stay focused on my work when there are so many other distractions bro what advice can you give me sure well the answer is you stay focused on the work uh, block out calendar time you color code it uh, so i put green for my personal time red for money time yellow for uh, admin time clear the screen anything else on it no notifications do not use notifications and listen to brown noise on spotify which basically gives you like white noise but better and more efficient that's it ask for bed giddy up see you at the top of the hour team game on music cranking uh very cool for the kiwi top 100 fred hollows oh he's got to be higher than the 90s mate that dude was a legend fred hollows was a legend uh google him Googling. Um, the next uh, hour, very excited, joined by uh, Henji Wang, CEO of uh, one of the world's most 100 influential companies. Super exciting. Also, uh, the incoming chief economist for Reserve Bank, Paul Conway, will be joining us. Tall property profile and so much more. You're listening to Today FM on Rover, Rebet Live, episode 305. Ring me. Live. On Today FM. Ooh. 
great way to ease into the second hour. Feels like we're going on a meditational retreat. Uh, during the pandemic, education technology firm Cami, uh, which lets teachers share learning resources, conduct virtual classes, provide feedback and more, offered its products for free to its 32 million teachers and students in 180 countries, despite having no other revenue source. That move has paid off as as, um, as its direct decision later on. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, sorry, I, I said that wrong. But Deloitte then named Cami New Zealand's fastest growing business last year, following a nearly 1,200% revenue increase. I'm very excited uh, and stoked to have Henji Wang, Cami CEO and founder, on the show. How are you, mate? Hey, Robert, how are you? Good mate, long time. Long time no hear, and I am so pumped for you, Aleph, Jordan, and all all the crew. How's it feeling being named in one of Time 100's most influential companies in the entire planet? Oh, it's ecstatic. Um, you know, I think we're really just humbling to to see uh, them recognize the achievement. Um, our team's really pumped. Um, you know, they're super passionate about the impact that they have on the education space. Um, you know, when we originally found out, we actually thought it was April Fool's. So. <laughs> <laughs> what a journey, mate. Like, abs- for those that are unaware, Cami, I mean, we, you started out in an office literally right next door to me when we had the shared workspace at uh, Okola BNZ. And I remember you had a little dashboard up on the co- corner in the room, and it, it was like 10,000, 15,000 years, and it just kept going and going. And now when you're thinking it was like 32 million teachers and students in 180 countries, in a nutshell, how would you describe the last uh seven years of chaos and carnage growing a local to global amazing kiwi company yeah um we certainly had to get bigger dashboards but um it's been a quite a journey and i think um we've been really lucky along the way to have met some incredible people uh, met some really great passionate users and teachers who have helped us sort of shape who we are to, to where we are today and which is ultimately how do we, you know, help classrooms around the world improve the engagement, interactivity, and um, you know, when especially when COVID hit, um, that was a huge game changer for the world of, of education. So, um, glad we were able to sort of lead that change. So many uh, events went to zero. Zoom stock blows up. Everything gets instantly digitized overnight. Uh, products transformation, the whole nuts and bolts. When the world shut down, uh, you know, was it March fifteenth, whatever it was, twenty twenty. What was the that call like with you and the whole team to say, "Oh shit, now what?" Like, what was the what was the thought process then, and how did it all play out? Like, talk me through, um, I guess, the strategy of of how you're going to go through COVID and and the game plan because you know making a play to open that up with absolutely no other revenue sources is is ballsy and brave. And I'm interested to know from a leadership perspective, what were those conversations like? Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, I, I guess to take a step back, we're, we're a classroom interactive tool. We help bring curriculum to life um, and turn all that normally paper-based curriculum into a, a lot more interactive, engaged digital curriculum that you can uh, use anywhere, anytime, collaborate, do group work. So uh, we were already in schools while they were using it in person, but it was really obvious as schools started to shut down overnight, you know, teachers weren't able to hug their kids before the, um, the everything sort of went down. Uh, we had the perfect product and we knew that we were in a position to help. And it was sort of felt natural to us to just do whatever we can to reduce the disruption of, of the kids' education. And, um, you know, it started in Hong Kong when 
school started shutting down, we started offering and translating an app for free. Then it moved to Europe. Um, and then really um, things hit the fan when it hit our core market, the United States. And we uh, made the decision to, you know, do everything we could to, to help. Um, you know, we didn't really think too much or too hard about sales or anything else. But yeah, it was certainly scary to see sales drop almost to zero overnight. Um, but that's obviously now paid off when people have come to realize how essential of a tool we were for this, um, you know, really disruptive period of, of schooling. You've successfully been able to go local to global. What's been the biggest mindset shift that you've had to, um, I guess, sort of go through a reset from a leadership perspective from the business? Was it always set from global from day one? Did you eventually build build into it? Talk me through the headspace of, I guess, leadership as a CEO of, of the company to, um, to try and see the success that you've had. Yeah, we've always tried to be global from day one. We launched globally um, from the very first product. Um, but it's certainly been a challenge to um, have to sort of think a little bit differently than what you're used to. So we've had to bring on different people over up and down the country um, and nurture that talent to, to really think things a little bit differently. And, um, you know, part of our culture and why I think we're, we've been successful is we're really user first, you know, focused on the end customer, user, our teachers, our students, from five-year-olds who don't know how to read all the way up to, um, you know, last year of, of high school and just trying to figure out and hustle and, and figure out how to, how to really grow globally. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a tough journey, but it's, um, it's always exciting to figure things out that no one else knows. And obviously when you get validated the fact where you know, it's, kind of, it's almost ironic you offer the product out for free when revenue goes to zero overnight and then fast forward a bit and then you're in time 100 most influential businesses in the world alongside meta and amazon and all sorts of bits and pieces how does that how does it feel as a as a kiwi company to be even mentioned along the same size eyes as like the, the names that have been put there with the biggest and most impactful ones in the entire world I think it's really humbling to, to be seen alongside some of these titans and, you know, super, super iconic companies. Um, it really, I think, proves that you don't need to be in Silicon Valley to build the sort of global impact company like Cami. Um, you, you can do it all from New Zealand or from your sort of pajamas in your dining room. Um, <laughs> we, um, we think, we, we think that it's, it's incredible to be able to do all of these things now in this day and age. Um, certainly when we started, that wasn't the case. So, um, you know, I think we've really turned a page in how you build and scale companies um, and scale global impact. You know, we've got over one and a half billion students out there that were affected by this pandemic. So we're barely scratching the surface. You've also had, so, so actually just with that, you've been able to, you know, obviously go global right from the get-go the plan is to keep cami here in new zealand forever the plan is you in terms of where you're going to physically go and do is the the headspace still we've proven it here we're going to stay here and keep building this in new zealand where's the headspace at in terms of where the company goes from here yeah i mean our call um is, is going to be in new zealand we've got an hq here we've got a huge team um you know our founders bob jordan 
Alev or, or here, but, you know, we're a global company. We've hired talent all over the world. Um, we, we're, it's more important that we hire the right talent, right people who are passionate about the education space that want to make a huge impact there. And mm-hmm. I think part of why I think we're so influential or have been recognized by Time 100 is because we help teachers who then go help the next generation and influence the next generation of, um, of people around the world. And um, we, um, you know, we have to find the right people that, that want to be on that journey. How have you scaled culture in your business when so much of the world has gone digital? How have you met, navigated team and culture and vibe and growth and, and all those things which so many other companies have been obviously struggling with during the pandemic and more? Yeah, it certainly hasn't been easy. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's certainly been a challenge to try and keep everyone focused on the right mission and right vision at hand. Um, but I think we've been kind of lucky in that uh, it's pretty clear what we need to do when we wake up every day. Our core mission is to help, and um, we'll, we, we would do everything we can possibly to just really minimize the disruption to classrooms around the world and produce solutions that really help and support um, these kids. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat easy when you've got such a massive problem like that in front of you. Um, it's certainly, um, yeah, I mean, COVID, right, working, certainly changed everything. It, it's certainly made things like celebrating the Time 100, getting on the list um, pretty hard. And we'll, we'll definitely have a big party when we are, <laughs> all can safely get together again. You mentioned the word kids, and obviously you and Al have, have um, started a young little family this last bit. So as a young f- uh, father now that is navigating a fast-growing business, what have you learned the most about uh, yourself being a young, par- a young parent but also uh, running a, a mega, mega business simultaneously? What have, what have you learned? Um, just how much you can accomplish with... Uh, of how little sleep we get. <laughs> uh, it's only takes correct answer. Correct answer. But keep going. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think I think ultimately we're really proud of the team, right? They've had a lot of sleepless nights like me um, to to get to where we are today. I I think they've worked incredibly hard. You know, kudos to them for for getting us to where we are today, but also getting the world to where it is today. You know, helping us navigate these classrooms, navigate this really complex in classroom, going remote, a bit of in between sometimes and trying to really just, you know, ultimately help uh, kids continue to love learning. Absolutely love it. Um, really appreciate your time. Congrats to you, Alev, Jordan, Bob, the whole the whole team there at Cami, crushing it. Um, amazing journey. It's only um, we're only in the, the second phase of what's continued to you know. As you said, there's you know, there's, you're in the billions with where uh, the target market you're trying to go after and help and support. So it's amazing to see more Kiwis winning, which is cool. So congrats to you and the team, and enjoy the rest of your weekend, my friend. Thanks for joining us, Henji. Thanks so much, Robert. Thanks so much for your your support in the ecosystem. My man. Uh, appreciate the time. Uh, that was Henji, CEO and co-founder at uh, Kami. Amazing Kiwi business. Just got named on top 100 most influential businesses in the world. Bam.
smashing it. It is 1.15 uh, right now. Uh, top 100 Kiwis coming up at 1.30. 6.15 here in San Francisco and 11.15 if you're in Australia. Uh, after the break, we have a tall poppy profile focusing on a Kiwi business doing cool stuff. Uh, this is Today FN, Rebet Live, episode 305. Text me with any questions you want on 3920 or call me 0800 Today FM. See you in a second. Live from San Francisco. And streaming now on Facebook Live. It's Rebet Live with how to turn your passion into profit. On Today FM. Here we go. TT's rushing back in. TT, we're, we're back. We're on. I saw him. I see him charging in to make sure we're back on there. Uh, kia ora, everybody. We're back into it. It is 6.17 right now in uh, San Francisco, 117 in Auckland. Hope the day is rolling. TT was stressing for a second, about to get into it. Uh, tall Poppy Profile, the point of this is profiling a cool Kiwi business doing good stuff, and we're fortunate enough to have a Tyrone Barrett from Tailored Fit join us. Proven, meth- uh, proven Method helps him in lose body fat, build lean muscle, while become confident again and create a healthy body for both themselves and families. If you're 35 and over, and generally ready to get your health back and transform your physique, Tailored Fit Alpha is exactly what we've been looking for. There you go, cool little Cool to plug before we've even started talking to you. That, this sounds like my demographic. I need to lose a few pounds. Uh, welcome to the show, Tyron Bell. Thank you very much for having me, man. And that was a great plug. Thank you, mate. Let's go. We haven't even started. The whole goal, it's all about sharing stuff. And your name popped uh, up on my radar a few years back. I don't know if you remember from a, fr- a mutual friend of ours, Paul Wilson. Uh, and it's been awesome to see you rock and roll and still uh, smash it away. So uh, maybe let's just get quick into the nutshell. In a nutshell, what is the business? And talk to me about the, the model and what you do and how you do it. All right, well, basically, Tailored Fit Alpha is a online coaching service, and we specialize in body and health transformations for guys 35 and over. Um, this is this is an area where a lot of guys, well, they decline in their physiques, they decline in their health, um, because they're trying to perform the stuff that worked for them when they were in their 20s. It just doesn't work anymore. So we created an entire service around the nutrition that's needed, the training that's needed, and also all the critical health markers that are needed for a guy past the age of 35. And obviously, the deeper and deeper you get past that, the more critical or the more impact these factors have on you. Um, And that's things to do with hormones, stress factors, recovery factors, just encompassing everything that's needed for a successful body transformation like you're in your 20s again. I mean, the probably biggest difference is you can't just drink a six-pack of beer and expect it not to go straight to your gut after you hit the 35. I mean, I'm 36 now. I've put on a few kegs with the old COVID kgs. Uh, maybe let's talk about from a, um, a I don't know if it's, a, it's the right word, but tell me what happens to testosterone after you go from 20s to 30s because I don't think it goes up right like what's, <laughs> no. what, what am I fighting here like give me give me top line. what what am I up against okay well this is <laughs> if, if you are healthy past the age of 30 your testosterone levels are dropping by 1% every single year now that is Damn if it. you are healthy so if you have lived a lived a fun life you know uh, processed foods had a good time that decline is probably a lot sharper for for most of us uh, so this is I mean and if you don't know testosterone is the key hormone for your ability to put on muscle mass um, keep muscle mass uh, promote fat free mass it's also your motivation your your drive your sex drive it's critical so this is what you're fighting and the unhealthier your lifestyle, the faster that test level is dropping. So 
it sounds like it's more validation to just cut out the carbs with the beers and just go straight to the whiskeys. Is that what you're saying, Tyrone? Like, what, 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 what's the lesson here, mate? Help me out. Well, unfortunately, alcohol is probably one of the worst things you can do. Um, Damn it. It, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. But the reality is that, you know, um, alcohol is one factor that will start encouraging your testosterone to not be, well, not produced as well. Um, your The free test you have in your body, meaning the uh, test can actually do its job within your body, isn't as efficient. Um, yeah, there's, there's a number of factors and unfortunately alcohol is not one of the positive uh, test boosters out there. I, I, I felt I knew the answer. I just was trying to hope for a, a different one. So yeah, I could feel that. I, I could feel I that. Know, you know how I roll. So why 35 in an automobile? Obviously you've got a bit, a bit of a niche in this space. What's the, um, why this target market for you specifically in terms of the business and structure and, and I guess going for that sort of target? Yeah, um, I think a number of factors. There, there was definitely a, a niche uh, or a need, sorry, in the market. Um, the fitness industry, if you look at Instagram, you, you jump on just the fitness industry in general, it is targeted at young people and this older demographic comes on looking for uh, solutions and they're getting fed information from guys in their 20s and things like that, which is fine. That's great. But what works for guys in their 20s doesn't work for us now. In fact, we will probably find ourselves regressing if we start following the same training plans and same uh, nutrition methods that guys in their 20s are following. Uh, so there was definitely a a gap, I guess, that we saw and we really wanted to target. And Tailored Fit first started out servicing everyone, male, female, all ages. But it was the guys that we really looked after that we saw the massive changes. And I guess the uh, the gratitude that came from them was really touching and really, bots, really mate. rewarding. Dad so this is, yeah, we dug bots. into this niche. <laughs> dad bods. 100%. Yeah, man, it's upgrading dad the dad bods. <laughs> so testosterone, you're saying you can lose 1% a year. I did not know that. Mm. So what do you do to fight that? Can you get more of it? We do, do, like what happens? Like how do you, what can you, what are three things or one thing that you can do to try and fight this to, to, to keep charging and rolling as you get to your, you know, your 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond? Okay, the first thing is, I mean, th there is a number of factors, okay, but the first thing is you want to lose weight, okay? Uh, the more body fat you have on you, uh, the more estrogen you're going to have, um, which which is the opposite of the testosterone. Um, losing Just losing weight in itself will start favoring testosterone within your body. Um, exercising in itself, compound big movements where you're lifting heavy triggers your body to want to produce testosterone levels. And cutting out such things as processed foods that cause inflammation in your body, that works against your testosterone levels. If you cut those out, you're going to be well cre helping to create an environment where testosterone can be produced. Okay, so you, you get me more depressed, mate. You tell me I've got to lose weight, <laughs> eat, eat healthier, and drink less Whiskey. This isn't going well for me, but I am interested in one quick question specifically. For male men age 35 and older, what do you think would be more beneficial, cardio or weights? Running around the block or just getting a dumbbell and just going beast mode? 100% resistance training, weights. Tell me more. Let's go. That's, that sounds better. Like me punching a bag or lifting something heavy sounds better than chucking on some things and running around in a circle with listening to some electronic music. Absolutely. Tell me more. Okay, the more lean muscle you have on your frame, the better you're going to be off in the long run. Um, the, the better and more healthy your metabolic rate is, meaning you're burning calories more at rest just sitting there. For example, if you have two guys that are 100 kilos each, 
Um, one guy, say, is 10% body fat, and one other guy is 30%. They're both sitting on the same couch, watching the same football game. At the end, and the same activity level, neither of them are jumping up, yelling at the TV. The same activity level, the game is over. The guy who has more muscle mass has burnt more calories just sitting there than the other guy. Muscle is an energy-hungry tissue. It demands calories. So you're actually going to be able to stay leaner for longer and sustain your results if you have more muscle mass. Muscle in itself, you require testosterone to build it. So you're encouraging an activity and environment that will help trigger testosterone production. Cardio can do quite the opposite if you overdo it. Okay, this conversation is going to be a Tyrone. Now I don't need to run anymore, and I just need to lift heavy shit and just go beast mode. I'm happy with that. This is I'm 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 feeling a lot. That work for you. <laughs> that works for me now. Okay, what else can I do? So if I you know let's say many men over third, let's say mid thirties and, and and more, sitting in a cubicle all day, they're typing some emails, they have got probably bad posture without you know some good stuff. What is a simple thing or two that um, the average working male, age thirty five and over, can do to to start um, trying to not fully beat it, but start on the journey towards a, a healthier and a more sustainable life and healthier body. The first thing would be absolute make a priority to be resistance training four times a week. That's it. Ooh, okay. Yep. Just make it a priority. There's one hour out of your day. Now, you can be sitting in that cubicle all day. You can be typing. You can be completely inactive. That's fine. Um, well, it's not ideal, but it's, it's okay. It's the life we live in and the environment we are, this world is in. But if you are training and training properly with resistance training, heavy weights, progressive overload, you are going to be in a far, far better position. And it's probably the most powerful thing that you can do. Perfect advice. Play some get some gangster hip hop and lift some heavy shit. That's Mate, the one. This is this is finished. Great. I really appreciate it. If people want to check out uh, you, what you're into, where do they go to? What do they do? Uh, the, the website tailoredfit.co.nz or my Instagram which is Tyrone underscore Bell and you know we are posting up content all the time trying to give free tips hacks advice for guys 35 and over you know to get their life back online and start you know transforming their physiques there you go I really appreciate your time thanks for joining us in there Uh, Tyrone Bell from Tailored Fit Alpha Uh, thanks for joining the show learn some Learned a lot there. I've learned a couple of things. One, definitely validated there's less carbs in, in the be- in the whiskey than the beer. Uh, two, don't need to run around the corner anymore. Happy with that. And three, lift some heavy stuff four times a week and try try get back to the beast mode. Appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome, mate. Champion. There we go. Uh, tall poppy profile. Uh, Tyrone Bell. Very solid banter. Uh, right around the corner, we have the incoming chief economist for the Reserve Bank, ladies and gentlemen. Paul Conway, see you in a second. Rebet Live. Today FM, giddy up. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. It is time for the greatest Kiwi of all time. I'm not sure who exactly who made the list, but it's definitely not Brad, who didn't even put me and TT in the top 15 for Today FM. We feel so left out. But stuff you, Brad, we're on fire. We're not only going to be the top, we're going to make our own top 100. We're going to be the top top two right here. But jumping into greatest Kiwi of all time, let's get it. Number 90, Sam Neill. Welcome to Jurassic Park. 1993, one movie is tearing up the box office, Jurassic Park. 
and starring in the Steven Spielberg-directed Hollywood blockbuster, our very own Sam Neill. My father was in the army, but he was a New Zealander. He retired from the army and we went back to live in New Zealand, so that's where I was brought up. I'm, I'm really a New Zealander, I'm not Irish. Sam Neill came to Christchurch from Ireland in 1954. He was called Nigel back then, but would call himself Sam at school. He thought Nigel was a little too unmanly for the primary school playground. He would attend Canterbury and Victoria Universities, studying a BA where he first came into acting. Neil would appear in a number of New Zealand television movies before breaking through in the film Sleeping Dogs in 1977. It was set in a dystopian New Zealand police state and would be the first 35mm feature film produced in Aotearoa. In the late 70s, Sam headed to Australia to further his acting career, appearing in films and TV shows before landing his first big international movie, Omen 3. What perverted imagination has fed man the lie that hell festers in the bowels of the earth? There is only one hell, there is only one heaven. He was even in the running to be the next James Bond, but Timothy Dalton scored the job. Sam Neill was in demand, hot property in Hollywood circles. Big movies would follow, such as Dead Calm, The Hunt for Red October, and then his most memorable international gig, Jurassic Park. He would still appear in Kiwi movies too, such as Taika Waititi's Hunt for the Wilder People in 2016. Wasn't surprised that New Zealanders embraced it with such um, warmth. What surprised me was how much the Australian audience have embraced it and the American audience and hopefully now the British audience. A self-confessed rehabilitated stammerer, Neil lives in Alexandra and owns two paddocks vineyard. He's been nominated for three Golden Globes and two Primetime Emmy Awards. He names his farm animals after his movie star mates. From Peter Rabbit to Gallipoli, his filmography is beyond impressive. Sam Neill, legendary New Zealand actor, one of Today FM's greatest Kiwis of all time. Props there, Sam Neill. Congrats. Top 100, as expected. Uh, now for your chance to win a $100 Resine voucher and a $100 cash and a high five from me virtually from half around the world. Text the answer through to this question. Oh, text the answer to this question through to 3923 and we're going to get a winner by the end of the show. The question of the day is, what is the name of Sam Neill's vineyard? What is the name of Sam Neill's vineyard? Text it through now to 3920, sorry, 3920, and the winner will get, uh, is I think probably first in first serve, I'd say. First in first serve, there you go, stuff it. Whoever gets it through is going to win. Uh, and we just had another text come through saying, hiya, who was that fitness guy you just had on, please? Well, you obviously must be a male over the age of 35 who might be right in the target demographic. That was Tyrone Bell from Tailored Fit, um, and you can check out Tyrone underscore Bell on the old Instagrams. Oh, and we've already had a winner, just like that. Two paddocks, done. Nairi Trollop, I think, I don't know, wait a second, what came through is, uh, oh, I see everyone's texting now. Everyone, nah, stuff you guys, you're, you're all too late. We've already had the winner. We already got it. It was two paddocks, correct. It's funny, as soon as we offer the money for it, everyone, it was, maybe it's the wine or the, or the paint vouchers. Um, I hope you pick Mac Black. It's the only pro way to do it. And there we go. All right, let's get you up. Sting me. Rebet live. Come together all over the world from the hood to Japan. 
All right, time to talk money. We are very lucky to have the incoming Chief Economist for the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, Conway's Corner. Paul Conway joining the show. How are you, mate? Yoda, Ruby. I'm great, thanks. Real good. Don't have COVID anymore. Feel like I'm on holiday. There you go. See, you got before you start the big job, you, you, you're back in the mix, your body's recouped, your brain's gearing up, you're in like third gear, you're going to be fifth gear before you know it, you'll be absolutely charging on day one, smashing through the doors at the Reserve Bank. Um, so, hey, I'm, I'm really interested to get kind of stuck into it today, um, talking about digital technologies. Last week we had Francis Valentine on the show talking about digital boosts, the upside of what digital transformation could do for businesses, and I was interested in your take on where you think you know, I guess, you know, why are you so, I guess, bullish and excited about digital technologies for New Zealand, for business and the rest? Yeah. Um, yeah, I heard your interview with Francis. I thought it was good stuff. Um, and there's heaps of good stuff happening through that digital boost of, and, and why power, all that. It's it's great. Um, you know, the reason I'm so bullish on digital technologies for New Zealand, it's sort of when I worked at the OECD over the 2000s, I did heaps of work on looking at the impact of digital technologies on businesses uh, and on the economy or, uh, you know, across the OECD and, you know, digital, it's like a general purpose technology. It helps businesses do all sorts of things better, uh, including innovation. That's sort of across the board. Uh, but then when it comes to New Zealand and when I was working at the New Zealand Productivity Commission, like one of my, you know, my main job there was really putting together a big story on why New Zealand isn't that flash when it comes to productivity. Uh, and to cut a really long story, uh, ridiculously short, essentially it, it comes down to what economists call economic geography. So the fact that we're a small population sort of spread out across a relatively big you know, landmass with mountains that, and islands uh, means our domestic markets are quite small and a bit insular. And the fact that we're miles away from anywhere else means we're a bit disconnected from the global economy. So we don't actually trade that much internationally for a small economy uh, and the beauty of digital is that you know to some extent not completely it, it sort of takes geography out of the equation um, so for New Zealand businesses that do embrace uh, e-commerce and a, a digital mindset I think one of the the massive advantages is that it gives them access to larger markets um, so, you know, they can grow their sort of size isn't constrained by the size of the local market, they can sort of grow uh, in the in the online world, which is fantastic. And it's probably a bit competitive, uh, more competitive. So it sharpens up their performance as well. Uh, so yeah, heaps of reasons to be bullish around digital and, and New Zealand and in many ways, digital technology, it sort of pushes back uh, against the economic forces that have kept us a, a low productivity growth economy for so long. Mm. And obviously with the uh, ecosystem through COVID in terms of the economy, a bunch more of these businesses were forced into this digital landscape. How, like what impacts are you seeing on the greater technology use in the economy of this last little bit? Like what, what are you seeing? Yeah, oh, like the like digital adoption has been, you know, the key silver lining uh, from COVID. The fact that it's been pushed along by a good few years, you know, over the space of a, a, a good few months has really... You know that's 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 fantastic, and I think that will uh, have improved will improve our productivity uh, down the line. Uh, in terms of what I'm sort of seeing across the economy currently, I sort of think of it in, as two groups of firms. Um, so we've got a tech sector in New Zealand that's going pretty well. It sort of grew pretty quickly out of from a very small base, uh, but we do have firms now, thanks to digital technologies, that are born digital and born global. Uh, they are frontier New Zealand firms. They're operating very well globally. 
Uh, and, you know, that is just so exciting to see a part of the New Zealand economy doing that. Um, but the other sort of group of firms that I think digital can have a really positive impact on or is having a really positive impact is just, just regular small New Zealand businesses. Uh, and they might, you know, they're not, not as productive as those kind of frontier firms. They're a bit sort of lagging behind the frontier. Um, but as these businesses adopt digital technologies and embrace it, they sort of, they, you know, they catch up towards that productivity frontier. So it is, it's economic growth. It encourages growth in the economy. Um, but because low productivity firms tend to pay low wages, uh, a really attractive attribute of this sort of digitally driven economic growth uh, is that it, it sort of pulls up wages at the bottom of the distribution. So it, uh, it's, it's, it's good for inequality. It reduces inequality uh, in our economy and not, not all economic growth is the same. There's kind of some types of economic growth are more advantageous than others. And, and the growth driven by these firms embracing digital technology and, and, and lowering inequality is, you know, big tech from, from where I sit. Yeah, embracing tech is an absolute no-brainer, but it seems for the amount that are winning, there's so many aren't sort of stepping up to the plate to sort of start to go on that journey. But, you know, when the benefits are so clear, why do you, what do you think are holding these New Zealand companies back, these decision makers? Like, why do you think we aren't potentially further along than we, we could be? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I heard Francis last week talking about, was it 50% of New Zealand businesses have got a website? And a, and a website is a very basic sort of expression of, of e-commerce. Um, so there's a significant gap there. Uh, and despite all these benefits, you know, it doesn't just happen by osmosis. I think that was sort of a mistake that economists made in the 80s. We kind of thought, well, there's a good thing. Um, so therefore, it'll just uh, it'll just happen. But I think, you know, it's digital adoption is is challenging. You know, it's not just about buying a computer and putting it in the corner and going, cool, we're all done. Uh, it's about embracing a digital mindset and using that mindset to sort of, you know, remodel, reimagine everything that takes place within a firm um, to make the most of that digital opportunity. So it's a major managerial challenge that we need to sort of, uh, you know, lift lift our sights here on. Uh, also, skills, Rebecca, are, are critical. You know, there's. Uh, you know, our education system, it needs to be pumping out people with the, the skills that are needed to sort of thrive uh, in an increasingly digital world. And obviously being passionate about education, I think we sort of both are. Do you feel that we're doing a good enough job in terms of the education space with tech? Like, do you feel it's happening? Are we making kind of the most of the opportunity? No, no, I, I don't. I think we've got some serious issues uh, in the space that are holding us back. Uh, the tech sector, you know, those frontier firms, they are crying out for more digitally skilled workers. So this is, you know, high-end uh, digital skills. Uh, and, you know, traditionally, we've sort of tended to use migration uh, to fill skill gaps in our economy, but obviously less so with borders being closed, you know, and, and we're they're obviously opening slowly at the moment, so we're moving back in that direction. But I think it's absolutely critical that our education system uh, steps up and, and provides uh, these skills. Like in terms of more sort of general uh, essential digital skills for, for life in, in Aotearoa, uh, BNZ just launched our second digital skills report and it shows that digital skills have got better uh, over the last 12 months. So people that already had good digital skills have improved them further by you know 5% of people are in that bucket which is great, um, but less encouragingly, about 20% of the New Zealand population have below 
essential digital skills and they tend to be older people people on lower incomes or less educated people or people carrying a disability uh, and the problem with this of course is that as more and more of the economy more and more of society goes online you know there's a, a big chunk of people there that are essentially digitally excluded so you know digital adoption it's kind of a double-edged sword it's good for economic growth um, but if, if a big chunk of people don't have the right skills to sort of get on the bus uh, then it can also increase uh, inequality. Yeah, usually when it comes to the money side, there's the haves and the have-nots. It's interesting to start thinking about a New Zealand ecosystem or community where it's digital inequality or, or access to it as well. So, you know, like, how do you think we, we fix, how do, how do we fix that? Um, like, I think, you know, my, to my mind, I think we, the, the opportunity here is so great. I, th I think we need a, a sort of a social movement, essentially, to really push the importance of digital and the importance of being skilled up digitally. Uh, sort of, you know, if, you, if you're old enough, you, you know, slip, slop, slap, you know, about putting on sunscreen or or always wear a seatbelt. You know, back in the days when we didn't have seatbelts so much in the back seats of cars or, or girls can do anything. You know, these kind of social movements that have really had an impact uh, on us here in Aotearoa, I think we need something similar. Uh, with with with, uh, with respect to digitization and digital skills, I think you know I think we're getting there, uh, but I think traditionally, or at least over the last decade or so, there's been a lot of sort of finger pointing in this space across the yeah. public sector and the private sector. You, know, you, you guys should fix it. No, you should fix it. They should fix it. Just you know, not us. Um, and I think there's some really positive signs that we're getting through that. Uh, we've got the Digital Boost Alliance, uh, which is a group of corporates and big businesses that have come together um, to really focus on this issue. And I think for for the Digital Boost Alliance to work in partnership with uh, government, um, you know, that that's that's we we can really make an, a, an impression here. And I should say, you know, it's not because private sector's gone all sort of altruistic. Uh, it makes good business sense. You know, a thriving New Zealand economy is in everybody's uh, best interest. You know, the banks are encouraging us to sort of bank online, you know, which is great because it's more efficient. Um, but, you know, obviously part of that is that they need to educate or be part of the solution to educating the population so that we can all uh, transact uh, online. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that in terms of like almost a marketing branding issue, you know, the same way John Kerwin created this vehicle for men to talk about mental health. You know, there's a clear crying need right now for that digital sort of push. And so I almost my brain goes to I wonder if it's more a creative issue to actually, you know, create that momentum of a, a stake in the ground that can be the flagpole for something awesome. You know, I mean, if you're in the rap world, Paul, it'd be, you know, get rich or die trying would be would be one that would work in that sense. But you need something for more in the digital landscape because obviously that gap's getting bigger and bigger. So do you think like from from your side, I guess, finally, do you, do you think it's mainly about education? Like what do you think else is sort of holding us back or or for us to try and get a stronger, braver, better New Zealand when it comes to the economy and, and all sorts around um, digital and more? Like I, th I think education is a key part of it. Obviously, we're not going to successfully digitize this economy without having the right sets of skills. Um, but it's also, you know, I think we need to sort of think uh, sort of smarter digitally uh, as a country. I think we need to get away from, you know, us being the product, uh, if you like. And just to give you an example, Rebecca, I think, you know, tourism, we're sort of opening back up to tourism. And if someone overseas wants to come and uh, have a holiday in New Zealand, they sort of log on to Expedia or, or TripAdvisor or whatever. Uh, and those platforms seriously clip the ticket, you know, so the holiday in New Zealand is, is 
is like the product that they're essentially using to get uh, fairly big commissions. Um, so, you know, why don't we build our, our own platform, you know, NewZealand.nz to compete with the likes of Expedia and, and do it uh, for a, a minimal, uh, um, you know, charge i think and, and i think there's there's lots of examples of of big tech firms coming in and setting up platforms um you know that that we could just do ourselves so i think using digital both you know at the business level but also at the at the economy level uh a, a bit smarter I, I think there's a there's a challenge for us in, in that space too but yeah it's a great challenge it's a, it's exciting and as i said i think we are moving in the right direction but i'm an impatient economist i want all of this stuff to happen now oh that that's my style always uh love your time Uh, appreciate it paul a couple more weeks and you're going to be getting up getting ready for the reserve bank so i really appreciate your your time and and your thoughts and kind of um, giving us a bit of a um give us a few insights for the weekend so enjoy the rest of your saturday absolutely jermaine i'll talk to you soon his goal to destroy the tall poppy syndrome his platform today fm this is rebet live call 0800 today fm we're back. It's 1.49 in Auckland, 6.49 in San Francisco. It is banter with Bruce. It's plug walk. Just rolling, just hip-hop bangers all down. You said I hope it's rolling, charging. Today FM, Rebet Live, episode 305. Joined by Bruce Pilbrow, CEO of Spirit hey, of Adventure and good friend. What's up, buddy? Hey, mate. How you doing? Good, mate. You like the background track I, I picked for you this week? Are you there? Yeah, I got cool. you. Okay, yeah. I'm out on my yacht, actually. So just not, don't, don't be jealous, but I'm on the Hauraki Golf. Just doing six knots at the moment on my yacht. So having a great time. You would. You would be out on yeah. your yacht. You would. <laughs> That's awesome. How has hey, yeah, your week just, been? Go. It's been great, man. It's been great. I guess um, I know you have got, haven't got much time, but I was just thinking about the word vulnerability this week a lot. Um, and, um, you know, we talk about Brene Brown a bit. I love Brene Brown. And um, she made a comment, I uh, went to a conference a couple of years ago, and she said, to, she said to everyone at the conference, you know, if a leader can't embrace vulnerability, then he won't, he or she or they won't be a leader in, in two to three years' time. And I thought it was a really powerful statement, right, for us to think about. How do you think leader what, – what's the shift that you think is happening from a leadership perspective or the, the, um, the expectations of leaders moving forward that would make her say something like that? Because it's a pretty big statement. It's a big statement, but I think what she's saying uh, is, and vulnerability is a word that's often mis- misunderstood, right? So it's not about crying in the corner, but we've talked about this last week and the week before. It's about the willingness to stand in the pain, and it's the willingness to stand in, in things that are, are difficult. But I think more importantly, it's the, uh, you opening up as a leader and not always looking like you've got your shit together, because sometimes you haven't, and it's okay, and you're better to be open about that rather than living this lie uh, that everyone expects you to be perfect and have everything together all the time. It's, it's just a lie. It's not It's not fair, and it doesn't make sense. Many people say fake it till you make it. Many in yeah. business at the top, they have all the weight on their shoulders, but they I'm imagining they do that because they don't want to show weakness to their staff. So what do you think needs to shift from the headspace of these leaders to realize that actually by showing this vulnerability is actually an, a, an asset, not a liability? Yeah. So weakness, if you show weakness, that means that all you really care about is what you can bring to the table. If you show vulnerability, what you're saying is that I might not be very good at this part of my job or I may be struggling with this part of the job, but thank God I have a team around me and I have you, you and you who are really good in this space. So I think the vulnerability is realising that there are people in the room that are smarter than you, better than you and more equipped to deal with some things than you as a leader 
And a good leader recognises that and gives them and clears the way and gives them the space to allow them to, to fly for you. And that's what a good leader is, not trying to do it all themselves. Do you think that what's holding most leaders back is more lack of self-awareness or uh, too much ego? I think both. I think it's lack of self-awareness. In other words, not listening to the room. And um, I've done this myself in the past. I've just talked too much and, and sucked the oxygen out of the room rather than listen. And I think there's a, there's a fear that um, and a pride and a sense of if I look like I drop my guard, then I'm going to lose my job or I will be seen as weak. And it's a lie. And I tell you what, mate, the more I embrace vulnerability and openness in my team, the more wins we have and the more work is so much better to a much better place to work in. So much do you, better. Do you think that that comes from when vulnerability opens up the honesty for the actual harder conversations within an organisation, which flattens the structure of power, that it actually then instantly empowers others that are that are structurally, I guess, beneath to, to, to rise up? Like, actually, it's, an, it's, totally. a, it's a way of empowerment, right? Totally, because if you show your humanity, uh, and we are human, and you show an openness, then people are going to come, come to you. I mean, some of the best ideas I've ever had uh, have not come from me. Um, and they come from more, I guess, junior people, if that's a one, one of a better word. Um, but we created an environment where they were free and felt safe to share their ideas. And some of those ideas have shaped the future of some of the businesses I've worked in. And the leader's job is to find that and to create space for that. Um, but often we just get in that, we often get in our own way because of our own pride or egos. I love the fact that we're at a point in society where the optics of accountability and visibility and responsibility for those at the top is actually shifting more for for soft skills and EQ and people and care yep. and actually dollars rolling behind it even you know leadership of Google and bits and pieces how does it make you feel about the future of leadership and businesses within New Zealand I think it's going to be one of those classic things mate it's going to be tougher before it gets easier because some people just really struggle uh, with it um, because you do need to do you need to be open to doing work on self uh, and um, and a willingness to be open in a team. And, and that's not easy. And some of our boards need to change in their attitude. And some of our CEOs and leaders need to change in the attitude of kind of going, actually, what does it look like to be vulnerable? And again, understand what vulnerability means. It's not about being the wuss or a wimp or all those horrible things that we got told. It's just about being human and open and listening and willing to sit in, sit in difficult times together as a team. Now that, I think you have a great team. You can't go backwards. Every week, the banter gets... Better and better. I really appreciate your time, <laughs> my friend. Uh, banter with Bruce. Enjoy the, right, enjoy the yachting. You. Enjoy your yachting. I am. My wife's doing a beautiful job sailing the boat right now. We're doing a great time. Thank you so much. Hi to wifey. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. That was Bruce Prowell, CEO of uh, Spirit of Adventure. And we'll see you around the corner. Break's coming up. See you in a sec. Mentor. Sherpa. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live. On Today FM. All right, about to wrap up the show today. 158 in Auckland, 658 in San Francisco, about to pack up, and I'm about to boost the Tahoe to go snowboarding tomorrow up in Sierra. Very excited. What do we learn this week? Three things. Number one, vulnerability and leadership from Bruce Pilbro. Very good. Number two, if you're a male over 35, don't go run around the block. Lift up some heavy shit four times a week and to save your 1% of uh, testosterone losing once a year. And uh, some chat from uh, Paul Conway digitalboost.co.nz get your business rolling and better in the digital landscape uh, before we finish as well we're going to have mama said my mama gave me a little book 
keep the track going, TT. I like it. Uh, the, the comment for the, the the little book of wisdom from my mother this week's one is: No one is immune to blind spots, including myself. I suck a lot of things: system, process, structure, and all sorts. Uh, one to watch out for. Uh, very excited. I hope you've enjoyed the day today. We're going to have Mark coming up talking sport. I think he might be talking about UFC, all bits and pieces. Mark, how are you, brother? Good, thank you, my friend. And I'm feeling a little self-conscious at the moment, knowing I'm losing 1% of testosterone at a qu- gotta, real quick rate. We've got to make a comeback. This is unacceptable. You, I, I, want to, I want us to talk to um, uh, Tyrone. We need to start a washed-up fetness club. It's going to be a thing. The we'll call it the club. We've Still Got It Club. It's still got, it used to be something. Um, what's, pop, what's popping on the show today, buddy? Mate, we're talking Masters Golf, and, of course, we are going to preview some UFC. Let's go. Let's All right, it. ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us in. Rebet Live episode 305, Today FM.